In this episode, I had a conversation with Garrison Yang about going from engineer to marketer, growth marketing opinions, and AI's place in marketing orgs, along with many other things. Garrison is the VP of Growth and Strategy at Ava Labs, and he's worked both in-house with brands and as an advisor. So let's dive right into it. And we will be good to go. So today I want to start with this transition that you personally went through of engineering to marketing as a particularly interesting thing that probably not many people started out on that path. So I'd be curious to know what that transition was like, what sparked the change. And then I have some follow-up questions there, but I'll start there. Yeah, I mean, I started in environmental engineering of all things. So I used to work on like sustainability, had nothing to do with marketing. I thought that I was going to be working in green energy for the rest of my life. And one of the things that I noticed was back in 2015, 2016, even as early as 2013, people just didn't want it. We all love talking about it. Companies wanted to re reinvent energy and sell this new world paradigm that we're going to be clean, but people didn't want it and they didn't get it. They didn't understand how it worked, solar, batteries, electric vehicles, like all of this was still this branding nightmare. And that's when marketing really was like getting people to understand why something is important, why they want something is almost as important as the thing that's being created. And the more I thought about it, I said, solar panels are not new technology, right? They've been around for a while, like they're in our calculators and this is just a different application of it. And yes, is, is it apples to apples? No, but the underlying concept of harnessing power from the sun has existed. And the trick isn't necessarily to build 10 more solar companies. It's to change the culture and make people understand that this is something they want that they need. As you made that transition, were there any commonalities between like environmental engineering and marketing that actually surprised you? People, people, the way that they think. The one through line throughout my entire career has been people knowing how to talk to people, knowing how to read people, knowing how to work with people, understand their problems and their challenges. Like that has always been a huge asset. When I started my career, it was talking to people who didn't think this was something they wanted, right? Like the guy driving a combustion vehicle, not really sure he or she wants to move into electric cars, not really sitting down and thinking about why this might be good for them, good for others because you've got this like preconceived notion, you've got a habit. And today in marketing, that's all we do. It's a bunch of, I don't want to call it finger in the air, but it's a lot of starting somewhere and then trying to figure out how quickly you can get to an answer that you think is going to be commonly accepted by everyone. The flip side of that, which is more obvious, is the contrast. But is there one particularly jarring contrast that you saw as you were going from like, Okay, I am a marketer now. This is the most different thing that I noticed. What was that thing? You peel back the layers of the onion, I think, in the world, especially if you work at e-commerce marketing. I can't walk through a target without going out. Like, that's the margin on that. That's the margin on that. This is how much that costs and what they're trying to do. There's a really interesting opening and widening of worldview. I tell new marketers, like it can make you a little jaded sometimes, but it's a really interesting space, right? Marketing is that undercurrent that powers a lot of things across multiple industries. And when I moved into marketing, that was probably the most jarring for me. Once I got over that hump, there was no looking back. 
And so when you said that you, when you broke into marketing, what was the specific skill that you started with? Because everybody, yeah, you don't really just get started in overall marketing. There's usually SEO or paid ads or growth or like whatever. What was that thing for you? Yeah, mine was actually on the product and business side. And so what I did when I was working for the energy company, I actually was not a hands-on keyboard type of engineer or industrial engineer at all. My, my job was to actually look at the products that this company was building and then figure out how to financially package it in a way that people wanted to buy. There was a ton of different ways that you could buy clean energy back in the day. There were, there were tax credits, there was loans or leases, power purchase agreements. None of that should make any sense to anyone. But the way that you could package up a product and sell it to somewhere in a way that was really palatable was how we got this stuff into the hands of people and businesses. And when I started marketing, I realized that marketing was just one component of that. And a lot of what we are trying to do as individuals and as businesses is basically figure out what someone's problem is, find a solution, and then show the person that solution in a way that drives a lot of affinity and drives a lot of intent. And I realized that in whether it was in one-on-one -on -one conversations with customers or whether it was putting together product material for our sales team, that all of that was marketing. Right. Every little piece of it was marketing, whether it involved other people, if it was just me sitting down and thinking about how to word something, that was all part of this like gigantic marketing puzzle. And maybe, maybe to get even more specific, I started copywriting, not in a traditional copywriting role, but for me, language was everything, right? How we talked about things was ultimately what drove me into the marketing space. So how does that funnel up to now? being more on the growth side of things. What was the journey there from going product marketing, copywriting, like really tech, more technical side of marketing, I guess you could say, all the way up to running growth at multiple places now. What was that transition like? Yeah, there were quick hops. There were quick hops. I went from the energy company to a early like social media widget type of company, social plus commerce company that was bought by a branding company and then ended up creating content or working on tech platforms for ad creative landed at meta and so i did this like creative over to branding over to traditional performance marketing growth really technical user acquisition type of role and then moving into like a broader head of marketing cmo role but now leading growth for able labs i think that a lot of the best marketers try to experience as much as possible. And while I do believe in specialization, I think that there are people out there who are incredible copywriters, incredible product marketers, incredible paid media managers. As marketers, a lot of our job is one on one side, empathy for people. And on the other side, really understanding what tools we have in our toolkit. And it's really difficult if you want to end up in a marketing leadership role to not try everything. And so when I jumped into the creative company, one of the first things I did was just big company, small company, consumer brand, B2B, like how are you guys all making your creative? The branding company, same thing, just try to have as broad of an understanding of what was happening as possible. At Facebook, trying to go across industries and understand how other platforms that were competing with Facebook were building their platforms, how all these different channels worked, right? 
similarities, the differences. And I always knew it was time to lead when the learning curve got really slow, right? What not a master of everything, but when the return on your time from a knowledge perspective starts to slow, for me, that was time to go. Cause I always knew I wanted to be able to handle like a really broad spectrum of marketing instead of like over-specializing in one thing. And so that's like the twists and turns of how I ended up here. Yeah, that concept of wearing many hats versus specialization, I think speaks directly to how things are usually done in a startup where most people have to do a lot of things broadly, whereas at a much more established company, especially B2B company, for example, you're going to get a lot of that specialization where every role has one purpose and one purpose only. You've, I think you've experienced both of these things. And I'm curious from your perspective, what the key bullet points or takeaways are from like, what's different between a startup and a scale up for you? Yeah, hundred percent. It's three different skill sets, right? So I always say at a big company, you get access and you get information. It's accessible. Everything is there, right? And you're there to, you're there to learn from the lessons of others. So at Facebook, it was like reading history book, right? You're there to learn about everything that has ever come before and to immediately have access to everything that is happening now. And the job there is actually not expose yourself to too much personal innovation because there's so much innovation happening around you and you don't have the space to innovate truly, right? Because you're always confined as one cog on a giant machine. In a startup company, that's where you get to put the lessons that you've learned, the skills you think you've acquired and really have trial by fire. And you're always in it. If you're at a startup and you don't feel like you're always stretching yourself and innovating, you're probably not at the right startup, right? Or you're not in, you're not handling your role properly at the startup because a startup wouldn't exist if they weren't disrupting something. And once you start to scale up, you go from that 15 person company, my last role, it was employee 15 and the company was like 150, 200 people. The scale-up piece is really the most fun. You find yourself transforming, the company's transforming, the things that they need from you as an individual often change. And what I used to tell my team is, you should never feel bad if you feel like things are moving too fast because the company is going to grow and the demand of individuals or of the employees will grow much faster than it's reasonable for most individuals to grow, right? Like our learning curve is just not as fast as a hyper growth company, there are some people that make it and some people hang on for a lot longer than, uh, than others. And then they reinvent themselves, they dig deep and they make it up as they go. And then they just call their shots well. But e even at my last company, I realized when this thing was just growing too fast, I, I no longer had as much to offer in a new way. And that's when you, that's when you know, it's time for you to get back to something where you're learning, right? And I think that if there's one skill that will always help marketers, really anyone at any stage of a company, it's how you tackle learning curves. Whether you're at a small company or a big company, whether you're new to the workforce or you've been around for 20, 25 years, 30 years, people who learn well and learn fast are typically the ones that can succeed in whatever environments, right? Because you could handle adversity, you could handle the unexpected, you can really reinvent yourself to make sure that your skill set fits the problem at hand. And it's something that has always stuck with me. So you, you've talked through stage of company that you challenges and also some awesome things about both sides of that. But in terms of the industry component, you've worked across some different industries as well. 
Is there a particular industry you've really liked working in or found particularly interesting or even one that maybe you haven't worked in, but you're just bullish on? Yeah, always felt like there there's opportunity in every industry. I went from health tech labor, which is probably two of the most dinosaur industries combined into one industry to crypto in less than two years. And one is not better than the other. It's really making sure that you know what you're optimizing for. When I left Facebook, which is arguably center of reasonable innovation, especially under disruptors, a team that I worked on, I was looking to transform something like finding the biggest, meatiest problem that really needed transforming, right? And so I picked health tech and labor, like talk about something that's been around for hundreds of years, or at least the health and labor portion, centuries and centuries. And it just needed some of that disrupting. And I realized that it was incredible because there was so much that we could do, apply technology in a new way to change the game. And a lot of minds and culture could be changed. So you had people, the people we worked with were hospitals and they're typically older, right? They've got a way of working. They were around pre-internet. And it got to the point where I was then looking for an environment where everyone was innovating at a rapid pace and there was no playbook. Health tech, bringing technology to health and labor is taking the tech playbook and applying it to something that has never seen that type of application. Moving to crypto was just chaos, right? There, there's no playbook. There's no one to copy. You're, even if you copy someone, you're not even sure if they're right because no one has established and no one has seen the game yet. And that's a totally different mindset and a totally different thing that we optimize for, right? Nowadays, instead of trying to improve something and optimize for making that thing more efficient, what I look for is writing a legacy, right? I want to be the first to do something in an industry. And if you want to be the first, I'd say crypto, AI, maybe genomics, like there aren't a lot of industries that are both developed enough for that kind of innovation, but are also nascent enough, right? Where you can really etch whatever you want into it. Yeah, for sure. On the role side then, so just get, getting even more specific as we go here, as a growth, you're a VP of growth. You've done this a couple times now. You've run teams. You've worked with probably people from all kinds of roles across organic, paid, everything in between. Is there one particular role right now where you feel it's just totally set up to boom in the next 10 years? Or maybe it doesn't even exist yet. I think that product marketing is going to make a resurgence. I think what we traditionally think of as growth is probably product marketing. Like when I look at someone and I'm assessing candidates to move into that director of growth role or to eventually move into that VP of growth role, they tend to come from product marketers or they are in a role that is specialized, but their thought process and their background is product marketing. And we've just had this decade or so of like product management being this incredible non-technical business type of role. And I think that increasingly we're seeing product managers that are more technical than they are good at bringing something to market. They think about the technical viability of something in the world as opposed to the commercial or cultural viability of something in the world. And if there was one role that I think is probably under hired for it's product marketing because a lot of companies, especially new companies, they will literally go from engineering to marketing, or if you're lucky, engineering to product to marketing. 
right? And when I say marketing, I paid, email, creative design, like all of that. Product marketers, especially in a world where we're increasingly asking people to be double or triple threats, to have highly transferable skills, to be able to do multiple things. I look for people because they're either slightly technical or they really understand how, to, how a product is created, right? What was that product made to solve? But they also have enough marketing skill set or, or marketing background that they can learn some of the tools and platforms, right? To be able to execute. And I, I don't know if this is the next question, but the roles that I think that are set to regress the most are the tools-based, like the expert operator roles, right? They just get easier. They get easier. Labor becomes more commoditized. It's easier to get someone else to run it. You, I find that roles like paid media, which four or five years ago, you wouldn't trust anyone but highly seasoned professional manager budgets that now are being outsourced overseas, which again is totally fine, or they're becoming more and more junior roles. And the ones that are very difficult are the ones that actually require an immense amount of creativity, immense amount of like zero to one thinking. And a lot of that is product marketing, right? Origination of marketing. Yeah, that, that kind of, I was going that direction, but I actually wanted to dive even deeper into like what AI does to the traditional marketing team now. Like with, when you look at whether it's Ava Labs or just taking a sample of what a normal marketing team looks like at a software company, for example, what do you think AI does to the different people in that org? AI basically removes the execution layer, right? Like in a very large org, you will frequently have people there to provide marketing assets or marketing language with very little understanding of why that thing is being created, AI effectively makes those jobs redundant. And as, and this is maybe more broad, as the tools get better, whether it's ad ad algorithms or whether it's plug and play marketing tools, or whether it's like a Canva. AI for copy or for images or whatever, but as the automation becomes better, people say this all the time, right? It's that creative element that is really tricky. The people element, like salespeople's jobs are not in danger because of AI, because there's so much ambiguity and origination of thought when you talk to someone else, right? It's, there, there's a, endless possibilities with how our conversation can go, depending on what we both say. It's unpredictable. And it's our ability to one, predict what may or may not happen. And then two, be able to problem solve that that is valuable. And marketers will spend less and less time on that execution piece, right? Like, hey, I need an image for an ad. And they'll spend more and more time thinking, what kind of image do I need for this ad? And why do I need this image? Why am I running this app? Like, what should it be achieving, right? Putting all of that together. And if we can identify the right problems, or if marketers can do a better job identifying problems, we're going to have more and more tools that provide the solution, right? We used to be a solutions-oriented industry, solutions-oriented world, right? Like we know what our problems are. The problems are very obvious. Who's making the things and solve them? We're now moving into a world where we have so much compute, right? That for some of these problems, like we have this solution. I can plug whatever I want into ChatGPT and get essay out. It's my job to find what the real problem is, right? At Ava Labs, if you're not able to chat through this too much, no, no big deal. But 
I would be interested to know what your growth engine looks like, how you're thinking through what really needs to get done that's fueling the fire and creating that loop for you. Yeah. It's a complex business, right? Crypto. It's a super unique space. Not a lot of things have been solved, but our job is a, our job is a branding problem. We use all the different traditional marketing tools, right? Email, lifecycle marketing, position marketing. Like, the tactics are very similar, but it's inherently a branding problem. We have for such a unique space and maybe such an interesting space, a homogeneity issue, which is that if you're on the inside, you can barely tell the difference between most of these things. If you're on the outside, you definitely cannot tell the difference between most of these things. Yet the audience is very small. So we have a really hard time getting people on the outside to come into the industry, to believe in its viability, to understand enough of what the output, what it's being used for. And then once you're in there, you're met with this like very high stakes, very high risk, super complicated, culturally, I will say the word tactless, but there are probably harsher words used to describe the industry. And of course you leave, right? It's not fun. It's high friction. It makes no sense. It's very in nature. And so we have this enormous branding problem. We also have a product problem, right? And this is where I think the product marketers come into play, which is this is not a user-friendly industry intentionally because you extract the most value when you create a situation where you know more about what the other person knows. And so if you make it really easy for everyone, then the people who are here first lose their edge, right? And it's an over-financialized industry. And so as a result, you have people who will in in inherently or intentionally make things difficult to use or understand so that people lose. And so as marketers or as growth, which again, I clearly believe it's very much a product marketing type of role, we straddle both. It's our job to make sure that we are telling the story of what our teams are trying to build in a way that people understand and really want to engage with enough to overcome the friction that exists with this industry. And on the other hand, it's our job to tell the product and engineering teams what the people need in order for this to be more friendly, right? The ones that do come in and have some kind of perception of what this is, like what do they need so that they can stick around more? What do they need so that more people like that join? And it's a really fun place for us to play in this messaging and building loop. And everything we do at Ava Labs is in service of that. Last two questions here for you. I want to switch gears a little bit. We talked a lot about in-house. I want to chat like advisory really quick, if you're cool with that. Yeah. So on the advisory side, if I say I'm a growth advisor, I think a lot of people would come back at that and be like, what does that even mean? Or what do you even do? So how do you think through the value that you want to provide as an advisor to another company? Like how, what steps are you taking or what questions are you asking yourself to like actually make impact for these companies? I think about it as like this, which is if you're trying to build a billion dollar business and if you're burning $10 million a year to do that, a little bit less, a little bit more, how much do you value making mistakes for the first time that no one else has made versus making the mistake that someone else has already made. And this is true, not just for business, but generally speaking, right? We all have our personal board of advisors, whether it's your parents, your friends, your spouse, and you don't pay them, but they're there in your life. And a lot of people who are successful are the ones who are able to expose themselves to others because you become the sum of everyone's experiences and you don't have to experience everything yourself for the first time. 
And this is super common in both business and just in the real world and just in the general world, I should say, which is the people who have no community tend to fail, not because of their own volition, but because any individual is always going to be underexposed to problems, solutions, and things than someone who has a community. And if you're running a business for the first time, it feels very lonely. It does. Like all you do, no one else is doing it with you. You're more financially invested than anyone else. They don't get it, right? And so whether it's a slightly transactional relationship or not, you need to have that. And I do tell founders that you do need to build a community that is non-transactional. You cannot just have a bunch of advisors that you're paying or giving shares to, right? You need to have your business community. But when you're first starting, you may not have that luxury, right? And you actually just need to move fast and you need people who can share their experiences and knowledge with you. Final question here. When you're thinking about more and more people doing freelance or side hustles or whatever you want to call it, especially marketers, why do you think, what do you think are the most compelling reasons for a marketer to consider doing a side hustle or even go full-time on freelance or advisory? Reps. Reps. Some people get it by working in an agency. Some people will get it by working at big tech, like Facebook, Google, et cetera. But it comes back to the breadth of experience, right? If I work for an e-commerce apparel company for five years, that's the sum total of my experience. It's a very different experience than going and working at Facebook where you have 15 clients or you get exposed to hundreds of businesses through your coworkers. It's all about a learning curve. And at some point in your future, you may want to be a CMO, VP of marketing or VP of growth at a company that you have high conviction in. But early on in your career, when your only job is to learn, and to get paid to learn, but to learn, you're investing in your future. You should do it. It should not be financially motivated, right? It's nice to make a few extra bucks freelancing, but you're not, you're not changing your personal economics that way. You really are, right? And at least not in a way that's sustainable. And so it is the best way to have add a little bit of serendipity in your life to get forced into some experience, experiences or industries or people that you may not have otherwise experienced and to learn and you get paid to do it, right? And if you couldn't land that job at Facebook, which was part of my journey, it's, or if you couldn't land a job in client services or a role at agency where you get overexposed, this is the second best thing. 